Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm your host, Michael Roseread Rothman, and I'm just driving down the good old 202 as I make my way down to Lewiston, Maine from Morono. You see, I've got not one, not two, but four tickets to go see John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band tonight, and we're on the street is that there could be a Beatles reunion. So here's hoping I find some friends to join me. Otherwise, I don't know, I guess I'll be a working class loser. Uh, Fortunately for me, I do see an unlucky soul on the side of the road up ahead. Let's hope he's not a Ringo fan. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Need a ride? Hey. Hey, hey. hey. Oh, hey. Hey, How's it going? You mind if I throw my bags in the back? Oh, absolutely. Go for it. Go for it. Thanks, dude. Thanks. I've been so excited for this show. Uh, what's your name? Whew, I get my breath here, man. I'm Dan. We all shine on Flieger. Oh, and, uh, nice, don't worry, because nice. I'm not a jealous guy, so I'm happy to be here. And well, Dan, uh, where were you heading? Going to see the show, man. Where oh, else would awesome. I be going? Canada, awesome. obviously. I got this eight dollar ticket. It's great. Eight dollar ticket's great. Yep. Awesome. That's what well, it says. Dan, good news. I got a thirty dollar ticket. You're going front row with me. Oh. It's gonna be. It's gonna be pretty good. It's gonna you be think pretty the, good. Think the other Beatles will be there. I hope so. Are you a Beatles guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Just a simple. Yep. All right. Well, I, I never learned the yes and part. I only went to the first class of improv. So I learned oh, that's the yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I was getting a little lonely. Um, but uh, let's see if we could uh, get two more lucky souls to join us this evening, huh? Uh, say, there's another, there's another traveler. What's your name and where's home for you? Hey, this is uh, Aisha Corker Gatson oh. uh, <laughs> coming in from Chicago. But, you know, I felt the call of the wild and wanted to take a road trip. So here I am thumbing it. Nice. It's, it's a little risky out there, I will say. But uh, you're with good company. Um, now, I also have uh, I have a third ticket to go see John Lennon tonight. We're on our way to go see uh, the Plastigona band in Lewiston. Are you in? I mean, whatever the wind takes me, let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, good, good. Uh, now, look, if you ask me, I think three is a good number. It's a strong number. Uh, it's a trio. But while I'm no mathematician, I do believe the odds are against us on the road. So I hope you don't mind if I pick up a fourth. Yeah, man, whatever. You're just starting to creep me out with these numbers. All right. Talk. All right. Okay. Look, I you was know. like cheaper gas. <laughs> it's, hey, this is true. This is true. So, whoa, <laughs> how about this? There's a fourth out there. Hey, Road Warrior. Need a ride? Oh, hey. 
you stole my name. That's so funny. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. It's cough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was meant to be. This is Rachel, Road Warrior Reeves. And thanks so much for stopping, man. I'm all the way out here in Boise. And I tell you, rides are few and far between. So I appreciate you taking a chance here. Hey, they sure are. They sure are. Uh, I'm glad you took a chance with us because um, I have a fourth ticket to go see John oh, Lennon tonight. Yes, so sick. you you will you want to rock out tonight with us? Oh, 100%. You know what they say, fun is fun, done is done. So <laughs> this let's is do true. It. This is all true. And these are all amazing references that we're uh, putting out here uh to our listeners right now. I got some bad news though. I got us to Lewiston, but here's the real kick in the head. I didn't notice this. You could blame me. I'm sorry. But the tickets say 1970. And uh, I didn't realize it, but it's not, it's 2021, and um, John Lennon died 40 years ago. Uh, so um, I guess there's no show. Uh, I guess I'm I'm you know I'm not only the Eggman, I'm I've got egg on my face here. But look 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 wait 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 don't get angry don't get, don't don't get angry. We're here. You know we've traveled long enough. Um, so I I don't know maybe we like stretch our legs maybe we could grab a drink maybe we can maybe even catch a flick together. You know the four of us. Uh, hey look at this. A show is beginning at the Franco Performance Hall. By the way, a real venue in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, and it's beginning in a few minutes. Uh, and in the billboard, it says, Mick Garris riding the bullet. Are you all in? I mean, it looks pretty empty. I don't think the box office is going to be great on this. In fact, I'm predicting it's only going to make 134000 US. Hey, you know, that is a fact that you could only find in the Dairy Public Library. Mike Allen, if you see... Hey, excuse me, sir! Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Yo, Mike Hanlon, said I had to go. Said I had to get cleaned up. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. All right, that was a fun gimmick, huh? We're, we're not really hitchhiking. We're, you know, we're your four co-hosts from the Losers Club. I mean, we got to have some hook to bring you in. This is a fucking short story about hitchhiking, a movie about hitchhiking. We thought it was a fun hook, but we had some fun, right? That was that was good. I thought we all did good. We're we're thespians because we did our audio drama last year, so it makes sense that we were oh, yeah. able to pull this off, right? We're, yeah, we're I'm pros not sure now. you're. I'm still afraid you're going to kill us, but yeah. Okay. Well, you know, if you <laughs> want to imagine them driving a car, then go for it. But uh, anyway, I'm actually a pretty good driver. Got to be be honest with you. Knock on wood, I'm still driving a thing. But anyway, um, let's drop the act. I'm just going to cut to the chase right now. And I'm going to talk some shop uh, in the Dairy Public Library. We talk about the background of the film and uh, the filmmaker. And, you know, this is a familiar face for us. Uh, Riding the Bullet was directed by Mick Garris. It was also written by Mick Garris. Now, why do we know Mick Garris? Well, because, I mean, out of all the filmmakers out there, he's the one that has uh, directed the most Stephen King adaptations. Uh, whether or not it's a good thing, we'll discuss in this episode. Um, but... By now, you should know who Mick Garris is if you've been listening to Losers Club because, fun fact, uh, this is the only adaptation of his that uh, we haven't covered on this podcast. So how about that? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this is the last one. It's um, pretty wild because, uh, you know, we've covered Sleepwalkers. We've covered The Stand multiple times. Uh, the Quicksilver Highway we covered for a Nightmares and Dreamscapes episode. Um, the Shining 
we covered in a previous episode or one of our original episodes we did michael jackson's ghost last year uh which i guess you could count because he kind of had a part taken that but um and then we did desperation and vagabonds last year so we are all caught up on mick Harris. But, saving the best for last. Yeah, clearly. saving the best for last. Uh, but, you know, so this, there is some talent here. Um, the cinematographer was Robert New, um, who has some major horror chops. He did uh, Prom Night and Night of the Creeps, two very big favorites of uh, both Losers Club and Halloweenies. Uh, the music was by Nicholas Pike. Uh, and he's actually worked with Garrison on a number of projects. He did Masters of Horror, Horror. He did uh, 97's The Shining. He did 2006's Desperation, Sleepwalkers, and he did Freddy's Nightmares. Um, and this was released on October 15th, 1994, which makes sense because there's some Halloween aesthetic here, which I guess is, I think so we could 94? say. 2004. Oh, 2004, 2004. I don't yeah. know why I had 94 in there. You also there, got the concert it ticket like wrong. It was 69, not 70. <laughs> it was 69. Well, look, the, the Plastic Ono band released their album in 1970. So, you know, what can I say? Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So 2004, not 1994. That would have been very interesting because uh, King hadn't written the story then. <laughs> uh, so that would have been a little foretelling on McGarris's part. Uh, and as uh, Flieger mentioned already, it had a limited re- release in theaters and only earned about one hundred thirty-four thousand uh, dollars. So rough times. Ouch. But um, let's talk about Garris. You know, we we've talked a lot about Garris in the past, as I just mentioned. But what do we make of his direction here, uh, Fleer? What, what were your first thoughts on on because you know you're a Garris head, right? You've yeah, you've seen most of his. I, I, I mean, I, I think I met him. you while watching The Stand. So mm-hmm. you know, what did you make of his uh, direction here? Um, I would actually, if this had come out in 94, I would be impressed, mm. but I was not impressed <laughs> that it came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, it was like dripping of like the late nineties college or road trip, like dead man on campus road trip. It had a lot of that aesthetic to it. Even some like Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Mm, it, I can it see kind that. of, it was very disjointed for me. Um, I had just read the short story a couple weeks ago and you know, it's, it's fine. I have to check out the episode. But this movie, I feel like, did not really know what it wanted to be beyond a few weird vignettes and occasional, like, brutal horror, mm-hmm. such as a dog getting hit by a car. I know. Like God. Um, but, yeah, so I wasn't super impressed, but I'm glad to just check off another – anything I can do with a Stephen King and just kind of check it off my list. is It's always nice. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, what about you? Oh, Mick Garris. The thing about Garris is obviously – he loves Stephen King and that yeah. always comes through and you can tell his heart is in the right place. Sometimes there's just some interesting stylistic choices and budgetary choices, which are obviously, you know, not always under, you know, within his realm of control, but the execution sometimes I have an issue with. And yeah. I do think that this one's interesting because he wrote so much of it, because as we know, the short story is, pretty small like 30 to 40 pages or something like that and this is a hour and a half long movie so how do you stretch that out into that amount of time I'm not 100% convinced that I like some of the choices he made to fill that time so there's parts of it I really do like 
Um, but then there's some other parts that I'm not really a fan of. So I don't know. But then again, like I, I, I can never be mad at Mick. He's like I a know. cute little puppy dog. It's like he loves, I don't know. He's like, he's one of us, you know? So it's like, I can't be mad at him because his heart's always in the right place. It's just sometimes a little misguided, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Aisha, you, we, we talked a lot about Garris last year when we were talking about Mike, Michael Jackson's ghosts. Um, and I think I, I think I brought up like how it kind of felt like it was goosebumps horror, you know? Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of Garris's direction? I kind of wanted to add to Rachel's point, the best laid plans, because mm. I listened to, this is the first time watching it and this, and um, I did the audiobook, So I listened to it first on my trip and I was like, okay, I can, I can dig this King. It's short, concise. It's got a little creep, but it's not over the top. And then I started watching the movie last night <laughs> Uh, and I got so angry. <laughs> I was just like, what is this? I, I had Ethan Hawke vibes from like, I had to check what year it was. And I was not about <laughs> Alan's character at all or his like little dunce twin friends who were like, <laughs> or the scene with the, the reefer madness. I was just like, there was so much where I was just like, what is happening? And I was sitting there the whole time, but I kept asking what is happening uh, multiple times. But it I had very creep show campy vibes, but just not to the level that I tend to like with creep show. I was like, yeah. I felt a little lacking and a little, yeah, like directionless at times. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up creep show because that's what I was thinking. It was like, I kind of wish he leaned more into the, yeah. the gimmicky and the ghoulish, right? Like, I feel like if it was more colorful, more flamboyant, maybe like the old school creep show, I think this works better. Because it just feels like he's pulling his punches visually that way. Like, it almost just feels like, all right, well, we got the shot. Let's go. Which is not very, um, you know, surprising from, you know, a workman-like director that has primarily worked in TV. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that this, if, this the, if this zaps and hits you like Creepshow does, I think this movie works just 10 times better. Um, On the flip side of that, I will say it. Or go the other way. Like, I feel like, you know, uh, to fit the movie, he's walking in the middle of the road and he doesn't mm -hmm. like pick a, he doesn't pick a lane, yeah. right? It's like, it's not mm. like creep show enough or it's not serious mm. enough. Cause I think you could go either direction and this could be a really great story. You know, King himself describes this as like a, a spooky ghost story. And you can take that two different ways. And for some reason, I feel like he's just right in the middle, which doesn't really... I don't know benefit it that much yeah yeah it's it, it's like that uh it's almost like an are you afraid of the dark sheen to it where yeah. it's like it can't be too scary but you know granted you know the opening is literally like there's a nude woman in in the art school so you know clearly <laughs> yeah, and everyone's saying fuck that, and stuff. that was fine yeah it's just but it but obviously this isn't for you know the tv like he's it's almost like he's he's adding like curse words and the the nude woman to be like this isn't Spice your regular made for tv movie by me uh this is this is for the, you know the adults out there but yeah it but it doesn't come it still comes across like a tv movie like i was watching it and sammy was like oh are you are you watching like an old <laughs> goosebumps or are you for the dark episode i was like no it's a feature film that came out in 2004 yeah. it, and on rachel's point too like with the pick a lane I've never seen a movie that had so many shots of a distracted driver swerving into oncoming traffic. Yeah. I counted like five of them where it's just mm -hmm. someone's not paying attention. They're lighting a joint and then it's, whoa, I'm like how many times can you go back to that? Well, in the same film. Yeah. Apparently several. Oh my God. Well, he was on a dare or something and he had to complete certain things. And 
It's like, like, it's like a scavenger hunt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, if this was a half hour, it would have been better, I think, as a creep oh, show totally. episode. Same. Because there was a whole part where these guys yell at him and he yells back and then they get out and they hunt him. And I'm just like, what is going on? This is like so disconnected from anything else that's happening. Well, and it's, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like there's like all this filler stuff mm-hmm. to fill out the time. Cause that's not in the story. No. Yeah. So it's just like, all right, well, we got to like do something else to kill another, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. Don't you My think my partner that- said it best. You could have just like walked in at any type part of the movie and it still could have been good. It was like the first 40 minutes were just kind of like, I was, do we need it? I guess, yeah. and still have like a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it that fat kind of like distracts from the point of the story. <laughs> like by the time yeah. he mentions the bullet or even gets the bullet, you're like, oh, it's like 50 minutes into the movie. Yeah, yeah he doesn't meet George. Stop. I wrote it down. 54 minutes. Jeez. Yeah, but meanwhile, we have 35 minutes of will they, won't they with the girlfriend where it's like, just are you breaking up or not? Because this is the third attempt at breaking up that I've got to watch. <laughs> And then yeah. she called. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll get to her in, angry. in a bit. We'll get to the characters in a bit for for sure. I I think you brought up a good point, Flieger, in the the repetition. And I found myself like almost just feeling fatigued about thirty minutes in with just the fake outs. Like, yeah, you know, it, it was like it was like a Ally McBeal episode on cocaine. <laughs> it was just like like how many fucking times are we going to be like he's going to look over and it's just like oh you failed the test and then he looks looks over and he's like oh I didn't I dreamed that it got so it got so much to the point where I was like we finally got to the ending <laughs> and I think the greatest scare of all was that he got us another fake out even after the fake out had just happened literally mm-hmm. 5 seconds before and I was like oh my god it, did the editor just need to spice up the footage a little bit I, I don't know it was just it was too much for me it needed a dancing baby and it would have been full McBeal <laughs> yeah just throw a gif at the end yeah yeah or Peter was it Peter McNichols in that show I think from uh, Janos from Ghostbusters too maybe he could have popped up and uh, as the art teacher in the beginning instead of Matt Furrer. Um yeah the, the, there was a there's a lot of that stuff that 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 kind of it's sluggish you know for a movie that is supposed to be on the road and moving it feels sluggish and the repetition doesn't help in the slightest. Like even down to like, you know, Alan's father f- constantly appearing and blowing his brains out. It was like, how many times are we going to do this? Like you've done it like three or four times. Like it just, I don't know. It was like, it worked a lot like a really shitty haunted house, like, like a fun house, which is ironic or coincidental considering there is a literal fun house in this movie when they go to the carnival. But yeah. Um, yeah, it, sorry, I didn't it, mean to... um, it undermines the tension, really, because it, like it doesn't actually let you get invested in the story because it's constantly like pulling the rug out from under you. So you don't necessarily know what the story is. Like if you're not familiar with it and you're watching this for the first time, like you you wouldn't know what is actually happening. I don't know. So yeah. by constantly faking out the audience, you never believe the next thing because it keeps getting taken away from you. Well, to yeah. be fair, he was clearly on the highly hallucinogenic drug <laughs> cannabis. Uh, yeah. So that well, explains yeah, a right? lot of visual <laughs> stimulation. Weed. Yeah, I mean, uh, from the moving wallpaper that looked like the opening from White Lotus, where yeah, the drawings were coming to life and dancing. <laughs> and I was like, I honestly, when I was watching that, I was like, I feel like pausing this and just watching White Lotus credits on YouTube because this is more entertaining. What if we just spent the next hour just talking about White Lotus and I would how it connected that. to Stephen King? No, uh, we can't do that. We won't do that. Don't worry about it, constant listeners. But uh, yeah, I, I felt that um, there is like four different movies going on at once. And then for some reason, a discussion about the Beatles. <laughs> 
Like it, it just was so much going on. And, and you could almost tell in the way that the, he tries to wrap it up. It was like three different buttons in one. And it's because like you've taken something that was so simple and made it just so overcomplicated. I mean, did, did anyone feel anything with the flashbacks of the mother? No. Mm-mm. No, I, I like Barbara would... Hershey. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was love so her. sad of how they used her. Yeah. Well, and, that, and like that's like the best part about the short story. Like it really is like a really good I don't know, story about that connection that they have and I think that the way King writes it it's it's really I don't know, it's really heartfelt and genuine and it's sad to see that really personal moment and story for him get kind of <laughs> interpreted in this way, which I don't know, it's kind of disappointing from Garris yeah. to be honest because he obviously knows King so well personally and his work that it's it's kind of sad to see that relationship put forth that way. Yeah, I yeah. think after reading and going over Hearts in Atlantis last month with so much about a connection between a son and a mother and the complexities yeah. there, and they just kind of breezed past it. And I actually, I like some of the scenes with the mom, like when the welfare officer was checking and she was like giving him mm-hmm. bunny ears and making Yeah. Him I was like, oh, this is actually kind of like a playful moment. Um, I thought Do too- you- the blank face with her was a very scary thing. I guess I'll save mm-hmm. that for cemetery, but yeah. Um, so I had a question. So this is set in 1969, right? But the mm-hmm. book is supposed to be like in 2000. I almost was wondering, you brought up parts in Atlantis. If it was set in 1969 is like, I don't know, like pulling from hearts in Atlantis too. Cause I don't understand why it's set in 1969 unless yeah. they really just wanted to squeeze in the Beatles and pull some cool <laughs> license yeah. like the hippie that poked him up that was like yeah i was at woodstock but then he was like a fake hippie i was like what mm-hmm. exactly are you commenting on here yeah there's like some yeah. vague anti-vietnam thing that I... the, the 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 whole like connective tissue with vietnam in the 60s and the beatles like just falls flat i mean first off i i always say with like god like the needle drop is such a lazy way to like present time it's yeah. just so lazy. Like, like, oh, you're, you know, you're playing some, some, uh, I, I mean, something from like 1968 that, or 1969 that, uh, honestly, like, it, it's kind of like what Forrest Gump does. But the difference is that Robert Zemeckis is just has a, is a really in depth filmmaker that knows how to bring some great shots and some gravitas to his drama. Whereas with this, it's like Garris is like, all right, toss in a, a few needle drops, um, make reference to a few you know iconic mo- moments that were in the '60s. Um, reference all the dead rock stars that would be dead, uh, or all the dead all the dead rock stars that or all the rock stars that would be dead in the in the aftermath yeah. of what they're discussing. Um, to be kind of cheeky and coincidental, it just felt so like um, almost like when David Wayne in Wet Hot American Summer, like when he does like back when he goes way back or, you know, gets nostalgic for the past and it's just nonstop references and just on the nose sort of, uh, you know, vintage stuff that just doesn't, that, that just doesn't, that just screams like this is fake. And yet this is supposed to be presented as like heartfelt and earnest and it's distracting almost. I don't know. Yeah. The opening credits when they had the zombies time of the season, the song that I love, but South Park, literally, whenever they do a Vietnam flashback, that's the song that they use. It's like, yeah. Boom, 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 ah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's so cliche. And, and I feel bad just because, you know, we're we're literally getting this from, um, you know, someone that was in the boomer generation and all. But I don't know. It just it comes off so cheap to me. And it doesn't help that the, the production design is so cheap. Like when they're on campus, it's like Sammy and I were both just discussing like, like, what is it that 
even like nothing looks like the 60s here like the the no. you know the hair design doesn't look like it the, the the clothing doesn't and when they do try to do it it looks like brand new like when they pull you know like when movies just it feels like they just pulled it off of the clothing rack and all I, it felt it was a bad move i think it was a bad move on his part because it doesn't really add up to anything anyway yeah and i thought it doesn't uh, even the opening credits felt very like a 90s almost like singles or the something or train spotting yeah i was like this looks like, like a student film from yeah. the 90s even the music i mean nicholas pike's music doesn't doesn't drive at all with this decade i mean if anything it sounds like the soundtrack for like halloween six alan howarth's soundtrack for halloween six curse of michael myers is just like the sliding guitars the crunchy oh. distortion i mean you can make the case that he's trying to kind of mimic a lot of this distortion and reverb that was all through like Woodstock and whatnot which they you know they reference but it doesn't work for me it had in my notes I had it sounds like when you fail at garage band and the two <laughs> instruments down tune like that <laughs> you suck I was like that is constantly also, that sound it also reminded me of just the pet cemetery 2 soundtrack which Ooh. is but but it takes place like in the 90s so that makes sense like it fits I don't know so yeah it, it was very perpendicular to like the the era that I think they're trying to present here and also the drama like it, it just goes from like this like whoa look at these crazy guys in the car and then to the mom where it has like the piano and you're like okay like not only are you giving me all these fake outs and you know doing the same sort of spooky haunted house flair but now you're kind of oscillate oscillating madly between two varying styles of music like i have a headache <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like i'm riding the advil uh but aisha what do you make of the music of this does it does it does it work for you at all <laughs> or is it i'm just glad i'm like, not eh. the only person who was thinking this stuff because as i was watching i honestly in the beginning was confused like what time period it was and i was like oh maybe they're seeing like a tribute beatles band or mm-hmm. something yeah uh and I'm, as a fan of the like Michael Myers trilogy, I love tracking the music as it goes through decades. Yeah. So honestly, I feel like it added more to my disjointing of not knowing what was going on and my anger at like how <laughs> messy it all felt to me. Like yeah. it didn't really nothing really gave me the ability to feel fear. Like even when he was trying to like scare you with little jump scares, everything felt very comical almost yeah. because of all this like contrasting uh music and and visuals so i honestly i was like really hating this movie at the beginning it's i love that we have so much vitriol tied to this like this it's such a very simple story when you really read it like i i I mean i brought everything's eventual like a moron on the plane uh down here to south florida because i was like oh i need to read this short story not realizing yeah it is only 30 or 40 pages so now i have this book that i didn't need when i actually needed on writing um and then they didn't have it in any bookstores around here when i finally found it but it was just it was so short that i finished the short story before we were even able to like you know order drinks in the plane like that's how fast it was and i think honestly what a lot of this vitriol that we have i think comes down to the fact that like it is so overly complicated like it's trying so much it's trying to do so much with like you don't need it like it's so simple like it's just you have the drama at hand and we haven't even talked we haven't even talked about the other thing that he flexes here which is like the the dark passenger you know the fact that he has the you know the, the we get double jonathan jackson here just to get the inner monologue so you have that la- layer also added to this 
And I don't know, like it just, yeah, it, 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 it lacked, it's a, there was like no charisma in any of the characters too. And I mean, the coolest part was when death hit the joint man, when there's oh, like a guitar God, riff. Don't even get me it. fucking started. And I was just like, I really want William Sadler's death. Another character. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. I'd rather yeah, he, maybe he could have brought Battleship or something. So, you know, they gave so. me Melvin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do wonder if Garrus, you know, he's such a godfather of, of horror you know he he, you know he unites the directors all the time they've had those dinners he has the master of horror series and and i and i love the guy like you're saying rachel because it is so hard to to hit on garris he's such a nice guy he's like the probably the nicest person who's ever come out of hollywood i will say Mm -hmm. and i wonder if it is that sort of pleasant nature of his that makes his movies i i I think it's 99 percent why his movies often feel like they're never scary. I mean, like the stand has some moments and stuff and a lot of it just happens to be with the atmosphere he conjures up. But like nine times out of 10, I would argue that it's that same feeling that I usually was saying where it's just like, this isn't scary. This is kind of annoying. Well, I try <laughs> to think way. of who the audience was for this and was he, it yeah. seems like he was aiming it at high school kids and college kids. I, I couldn't see like a middle-aged Stephen King fan really geeking out on this. Just with yeah. some of the, like, again, like with death hitting the joint, some of these things that you'd be like, oh, cool. But the way you would say like a Spencer's blacklight poster is cool, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you outgrow it pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, it, <laughs> Spencer's blacklight. I love that. I mean, turns so camera true. away from my Spencer's blacklight. Yeah. <laughs> Was that a Cobra? I, awesome. Do, do we all have a Spencer's blacklight? I, I did have one in a blacklight. Yeah, yeah I did. But, oh, yeah, no. Same. Same. I did too. How about you, Rachel? No blacklight posters. No blacklight. Oh wow. Yeah, we we had a big one for. Oh god, it's so cliche. Jim Morrison and Led Zeppelin. So I guess I was like a character in writing the bullet. Um, You're kind of like that was around 2004. You were like the roommates that were bumbling. Yeah. Well, I was the like, budget Jack Black. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh lord. Yeah. Which I've seen him in a few things before. Like it, yeah. Anyway, but uh, well, let's. I mean, do we have anything else to say about Garris? I feel like we've been. You know. Oh, I'm sure we'll have more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have much to say else about uh, Garris. I'm just a fan. Now. I like him a lot. I just. Yeah. I do too. Well, that's. I, I think that's why I'm so fascinated by it. Is it like I always do go gravitate towards his works, and then I, more often than not, walk away with these type of feelings. Where I'm just like, fuck. Like, I don't want to say anything mean, but yeah, I don't know. Um, then again, we were pretty loaded when we did our Sleepwalkers episode. So, uh, anyway, full admission there. How about that? Um, let's 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 just talk about uh, some of the characters within this movie. I think there are a lot uh, that there's a lot to talk about there, and we can kind of weave in a little bit more of the story details. Certainly, as we're talking about the heroes and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole. <laughs> All right, well, as with any Garrus joint, we have a number of familiar faces to discuss, especially since this is, you know, the tail end of his run through King's Dominion. Um, but for me, what I find exciting is that we have uh, a couple of new names to go over, and I'm a big fan of some of those new names, especially the lead himself, the man of the hour, at least my hour, uh, Jonathan Jackson as uh, as Alan Parker. Um I'm a huge fan of Jackson. I don't know why I'm a huge fan of ja- Jackson. I, I think I'm just fascinated by him. I, he has first off, he has great hair. He's a hunk, um, and I loved Camp Nowhere growing up. And I, I, I think I really related to his character in Camp Nowhere as the the guy that that 
that inevitably kind of takes you know the lead in things and and has to huff and puff about it um i just love it i just i just i don't know i like him and i don't feel like hollywood gave him a fair shake and i that's one thing i want to applaud mick garris is that you gave jonathan jackson the leading role i you know he was in tuck everlasting and then he kind of tucked away um what do you all make about uh jonathan jackson does anyone share my love for this guy or am i on jonathan jackson island here uh no, Flieger, I, you're shaking oh rachel you're saying yes yeah, Flieger's saying no, no. I, well Flieger, get over it <laughs> i you know i liked him i mean i feel like if jen were here she would also probably i don't know i guess i'll yeah. ask her but like he's a babe and you know yeah he's got great hair I actually do like him in this. My issues with his character are more, I feel like the material he was given and some of the choices that way they were made. Um, he's a little emo, but I also, um, he gets to sneak in one of his E Nation songs. So oh, does he? <laughs> yeah, one of those songs in there is him singing it. Oh, interesting. His, his band, which is also really weird because it's supposed to be 1969, right? <laughs> so why is yeah. there like a song from a 2000s era band? But whatever. I guess that was probably in his contract. He's like, yeah, I'll do the part, but I want to get my band song in there too. Yeah. Um, Garris is probably like, this is a great song, Jonathan. Um, yeah. And I do, I mean, I do like him in the lead. Like you say, you don't really see that that often so i like i i liked him in this i thought he was a black hole of charisma oh <laughs> my god i really could not get into him at all I, I wasn't really a fan of his in the 90s either so maybe i'm not bringing that baggage <laughs> in um but i thought like he was channeling like christian slater's character jd from heathers totally which a little bit but, very interesting yes. character and that's but 25 that years him before. or is that like how he's being directed and the dialogue and script that he's given because i feel like that's what yeah. they were trying to get out of him 100%, yeah i don't i mean he wasn't given a ton to work with to be fair but i just didn't like even like the yeah the dark passenger stuff i was never like buying into it he just seemed kind of mopey but not even in a way that I mean, even when he was like cutting his wrist, he wasn't doing it right. Well, he wasn't. Yeah, he did hate. the fake cut. You're supposed to yeah, do it. Yeah, it's like you don't go across <laughs> the street; you go down the road, kids. Just to remember, yeah. um, it was an yeah. accident, right? He, yeah, I mean, it, it was. Like he jumped. It was kind of slanted, I guess. But <laughs> I just, you, you know, you have like medical on staff in the filming just to be like, hey, here's how we would have done it. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's not <laughs> not like holding him personally responsible. But I just. For the kind of movie, it sounds like, like you're holding it personally. Or I like I like the idea that Flieger's Flieger and and I are in like a Ebert, or, you know, Siskel and Ebert type show. It's like Jonathan Jackson. I thought he was great. He was wonderful. He brought some gravitas to the role. I'm like, well, you're uh, a you're fool, like, and why don't you well, get black it? hole? Well, he got it wrong because uh, you know the, the suicide was all wrong in there, which which is true. It's, Did one was, of his friends correct suicide. him though? I feel like one of his friends corrected how he was they supposed do. to do it when they were yeah they it out they the say like you didn't even do it right. Yeah, and his girlfriend like chides him like in the hospital it's like you yeah. idiot that's like, right, well, that sums up my take on the movie is you didn't even do it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah what about you Aisha are you a fan of his yeah you, do you worship at the altar like they do or <laughs> honestly until you reminded me of Tuck Everlasting and no. I don't even remember that movie I know I watched it but I think the most thing that annoyed me as I was watching this movie was his lack of facial hair or the ability yeah. where he was like <laughs> trying to and it distracted me a lot into but i guess it added to his emo ethan hawk character that yeah. he was going for um to your point i think one of you were talking about how like they just kind of picked haphazardly uh clothing for that era and they gave him like the traditional pea coat and the the, yeah. the army bag for hitchhiking 
And I was like, the way they put his character, I was like, are you anti-hippie? Are you anti-drug? Because then he was like, oh, you you meddling hippie and your 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 drugs. But then he's out there smoking the doobie. Wait, throw <laughs> yeah. an old school term in there. <laughs> on the street. I don't know. I just couldn't get a handle on his character. And Jonathan Jackson as an actor, I honestly don't remember any. Like, what else did he do? I looked it up and I was like, none of well- it I've watched. Well, I don't know if you watched Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, the Terminator spinoff show that was on uh, Fox for the late aughts, but uh, he was he was Kyle Reese in there, and he looks like Michael Bean. I, I got to say, I was I, I remember yeah. when I watched the show, I was like, oh, that's great. First off, get to see Jonathan Jackson again, and then he's playing my favorite character of all time, uh, Kyle Reese. Uh, I was pretty stoked about that, even though they don't really give him much to do um, in that TV show either, but... Anyway, he was Kyle Reese, but uh, but Camp Nowhere is his big one. Um, he played Mud, the the great Mud, <laughs> in Camp Nowhere, and he's the one that like basically orchestrates the whole thing, like gets them to go to this fake camp and becomes friends with uh, Doc Brown himself, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Um, but I've actually never seen Tucker Everlasting. Did you do you remember it, Aisha, or is it is it a good movie? Or it, that shows you how probably good it was because i have no idea it's like remembering 10th kingdom i i know i saw it (laughs) (laughs) what happened yeah i don't know yeah that's kind of how i describe a lot of the times when i think of uh, ridley scott movies i'm like uh, did i see kingdom of heaven did i oh yeah i did in 2005 okay let's move on i i think he's fine in this I, i i don't think i think he's better as his dark passenger because i think that's when he's allowed to act more like jd as he talks mm-hmm. uh, about flieger like i think he has he has a little more attitude he gets a little more fun whereas you know alan doesn't have much to work with in general just because the story is so internal so it makes sense that garris would try to create that dark passenger role for him and that's i guess it's not surprising that's when he does come to life but yeah there is a lot of i don't know there is a lot of that sort of cliche fringe college student vibe that he kind of has to lean on um, even while talking to his mother, I mean, do you buy his relationship with his mother at all in this, or is it kind of just felt very prescriptive? Kind of felt like what uh, it missed that kind of feeling that was instilled with me with like listening to the book, as opposed to like I could understand the connection even when he's talking at a point where he's like, "Oh, you know, she did what she had to. She showed me her love." Like I didn't really get that vibe in the story. I know that they were throwing flashbacks at you to kind of get you to get that nostalgia and that feel of like. I love them even despite this, but I just never really felt, and going back to again what we were talking about earlier, where they're, like, they're constantly changing things and moving around and being wishy-washy and how they're presenting things. Even with The Dark Passenger, I felt like sometimes he was very gimmicky mm-hmm. and the other times it, it worked well. So maybe just, maybe they need more time to fill out that role and like play around with it. But I don't know. I just, I didn't feel a lot with this movie. I'm yeah. Sorry. yeah. I mean, I, I laughed a lot. Because I was just like, I might as well laugh at this point. You're not alone in that feeling. I, when I'm doing the notes for this, I was kind of like, oh, man. What, what, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt Frewer, the art teacher in the beginning, is like, you're so talented, but how come you have this morbid fascination with death? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I know. It's so on the nose. Well, and that's, that's a huge thing because, okay, so in this, like, that's not really in the, in the short story, right? Mm-hmm. Because, so I kind of hate that they do that. Because to me, this whole story that the actual short story is all about you know coming to terms with losing you know the mortality of your somebody you love and like your own mortality and like realizing that and struggling with that and like 
deciding how you're going to move forward and what to do with that information and how to process that. And here it's like, he's always obsessed with it. And if, you know, if he's like fixed on it before it completely strips away, like the weight of the experience that he's going through with his mom, because he's already focused on it. So like, what's the struggle here? Yeah. So everyone chooses life though. As he said to his art teacher, or everyone draws life, it's, so he's yeah, gotta be just, a rebel. It's really frustrating to me because I feel like it actually does a disservice to King's story because I think yeah. that's what's so great about that story. And by like making this character just, you know, really melon, you know, going through this melancholic emo phase, it takes that whole, I don't know, that whole part of the story away. And it's sad it does it's it's a very strange and awkward choice to take a character that is literally running from death through his, his whole life or the thrill of death or the idea of death and give us someone who's constantly trying to face it in in, a, in an odd way like it, it just it absolutely derails um no pun intended the 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 arc and themes for sure um which is why i think ultimately when that moment the slap not NBC or ABC slap like that show years ago, but um, the slap happens at with Barbara Hershey and uh, Jonathan Jackson at the theme park. It's so like, wh- why? Like, why is yeah. this happening? First yeah. off, like everything we've seen prior to this has been a really good, strong, like, you know, great relationship as, you know, as Fleer mentioned, they had that, those fun little quirks together when she's like making, you know, the faces when, you know, the guys are visiting in the house and, it doesn't, it rings just so untrue and forced. Like, oh yes, I forgot this part's in the story, but now it doesn't really meld with my story at this point. And, and the bullet, which is literally in the title, the titular theme is like a total afterthought. Like it just feels like, it just feels forced in. So know. Mike, you were recently at amusement parks in Orlando. Did you see any parents slap their kids when the kid didn't <laughs> want to go on the ride? I, 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 uh, like, I was slapped by a parent. Scary. You know, Sammy should have slapped me because uh, she she asked me right after Tower of Terror. Uh, she said, "Yeah, my stomach's not feeling too good. It, you know, wh- what is this Aerosmith ride?" And I was like, "Oh, it's no big deal. It's just a it's um you know easy roller coaster." Not knowing it's actually one of the fastest roller coasters out there, kind of like the Bullet. And yeah. she got really sick and nauseous afterwards. And and I could tell she probably wanted to slap me. And was, was that like, just from the music they were playing, or was it the actual ride? Oh, is the ride? Yeah, because I, I like felt- Aerosmith. Caffrey hates them, but I like them. Yeah, I, I don't mind them. We've we've talked at great lengths and with many puns on the Halloweenies podcast about Aerosmith. So uh, it's kind of like a running joke with us now. But um, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't as dangerous as the bullet. I'd say. Um, so fortunately, we, we got away. But uh, I, I did get some insight, by the way, from Jen on Jonathan Jackson. Um, oh, nice. I texted her. Uh, <laughs> this is great. Uh, I said, give me your take on Jonathan Jackson. We're recording right now. And she goes, mud? Oh, shit. I've heard he's nice. Seems really cool. Was on Nashville. He was on Nashville. Yeah, because because as you said, Rachel, she, he is a musician. Um, but I like Brainy Hunks, and Brainy Hunks are the best kind. Also, I love Camp Nowhere, and he's a musician, too, which is always hot. Are you all talking about him, or is he going to be on the pod? Uh, and, uh, and then, he, then she finally goes, oh, he's the guy from Riding the Bullet. So there you go. I feel like we've we've got three three against two on Jonathan Jackson here. You guys are so, bringing uh, in all this baggage from his other work, though. You're like, no, he was good in this movie I know. because I like this That's movie true. as a child. It's not it's fair. It's not I, fair. I uh, well, speaking of, we've already talked about her, so we might as well talk about her. And, and Aisha, you said that you, you're a big fan of Barbara Hershey, and you're disappointed here. What is it that disappointed you? It was just that they, she wasn't used enough, or was it just kind of like a meh performance? 
Yeah, I, I would say to the second part of the meh performance, because uh, I just watched something recently with her, and now I'm blanking on the name. Was it Black Swan? And I haven't... Which what? Black Swan. Uh, no, I know it's been a minute since I saw lately. that one. Okay. But, uh, and I was like, man, I haven't watched a Barbara Hershey thing in a minute, so I was like, when I saw that she was in this, I kind of got excited, and I was like, ready for her to have like this amazing role and blow it. I was like, I don't know how they're going to make her as a mother stand out because in the story, she's just kind of like this anchor point for things to happen around. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like, yeah, she was underutilized. I didn't feel like, I felt like she was just like a two bit character that existed in this movie. And she just kind of came as a name than as a real like, they didn't, uh, yeah. Yeah, I Unforgettable, agree. I would say. And yeah. I don't say that about her. <laughs> we uh we stand for hershey here on this podcast and unfortunately um this is uh not a hershey kiss uh <laughs> guy was stupid fucking pun yeah, that was uh, really, anyway, good. really good that you wrote that down too right that yeah i did i did i was mm-hmm. it was totally planned i was master when i was writing it i was like yes um flieger uh are you a barbara hershey fan yeah i, I actually that- am a fan and i'll say it was like a hershey kiss in that she was gone in an instant <laughs> just a lingering memory of the little sweetness left yeah um she yeah, I, I liked every scene that she was in, but she was kind of underused. Um, the best parts, though, were the literally rolling her over in the bed and having the blank face like from yeah. Dick uh, Tracy, I thought, which I guess saved that for Cemetery or Nightmares or one well, of those. You've, you've certainly signaled that Cemetery at this point. Yeah, so no, we'll I have it in my notes it. multiple times. I'm like, man, that blank face is scary because it's that turnover reveal. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was cool. I guess that's not to hurt. I mean, that's probably just a stunt double but yeah i'd like to imagine that like hershey we got you um we're gonna sit you in makeup for five hours 4 a.m far yeah. more than yeah the more than anything that you do for this the rest of this movie rachel w- w- thoughts on hershey i mean she's great and it's i mean if you have talent like that if you have somebody like that it, it's a bummer to not see it used because i really think she could have given the proper script i guess really could have developed that relationship between her and alan i think and just the scenes that they chose to do were kind of odd i guess or the way they were executed it's the just the tone of them i guess mm-hmm. yeah it's just kind of yeah i don't know i don't know to fault i don't know if i can like fault her for it that's the thing it's like it's like yeah. her scenes were not really that great or in you know memorable i guess but i don't know if that's her fault i think it's what she was given to work with which yeah. is a bummer because you yeah. Ha- when, yeah when you have an iconic talent like that like i don't know use it properly right yeah it comes in more like um it, it really is a tv performance like i i yeah. honestly feel like she probably read this you know and and thought all right well I'm going to punch in and punch out here and I'm going to give her what I give what I can because what I'm dealt, you know, Um, I I thought some of the moments at home when they're at their house, I thought were really great. Like, you know, not great. I'm really great. Overselling it there. Um, But, you know, I I thought that the last bit where they kind of get like a couple more years to be together, there's some like some portraits at least that I thought were Mm -hmm. affecting um, that I thought were nice. But yeah, overall, um, not much there. I I think that it, it for a for a story that literally revolves around this character, I just didn't feel any of the gravitas of getting to her either, which is a yeah. big problem. I mean, it mm. even despite all the fake outs of like whether she's gonna die, 
there's never a moment in this movie where I'm like, oh God, is he going to get to her in time? Like that's just lacking. And that for me, like if that's the hook of the story, which it is, that's a big failure. Right. I, mean, I will, I will say this too. I mean, the fact that they inter like interject the dad into this story. Yeah. It, ta- it takes away from her character because mm-hmm. going back to the story, I think the dad is just kind of a passing mention Mm-hmm. And they should have just done that. If you're going to focus on this relationship, focus on this relationship, like get the dad out of here, <laughs> like just, you know, spend more time and develop, you know, this relationship between these two. If you're going to actually try to make that the driving force behind this whole thing, then spend more time with them. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Dad is definitely distracting, especially the multiple shotgun wounds to the head that they kept doing over and over. Yeah. And it's, you know, for a movie that's like a race against time. There was a lot of meandering and just kind of like, you know, even when he was just like walking down the road, like kind of sauntering. I'm like, what is there? There's a something here we need to get to. And instead, like the story keeps going off on these little, you know, frolics of its own. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the road is a conduit to be able to bring in so much story. Right. I mean, it's the easiest thing to do. I mean, that's why road trip movies are just so much fun because it's so unpredictable. What are you going to find on this long and winding road? And I just feel like Garris probably could have pumped the brakes, centered the wheel a little bit, and just kept driving. You know? It felt like he was driving um, with the e-brake on the whole time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it just it's kind yeah. of smells weird and doesn't really yeah. do anything, but no one really lingering. Attention. Yeah, right. Well, hey, speaking of someone that uh, you know smells weird and wasn't paying attention to the road and uh, wasn't pumping the brakes, David Arquette is George Staub. Um, I mean, look, this guy needs no introduction. I will say not a great time for David Arquette, which is probably why it explains why he's in this movie. Um, you know, no shade to him. I thought he was great in 22's or this month's scream. I thought he's probably the MVP of the, the, the three, um, veterans in that movie, but he's coming off of like DMX's never die alone. Um, this really shitty thriller named happy here now. Um, I think two years before that, like the last big movie he was in was like eight legged freaks. The thing I love about Arquette in this movie is that this feels like old school Arquette. Like this feels like mm-hmm. vintage Arquette of like the Buffy era when he would yeah, just get to just be a screwball, right? Like he looks, <laughs> there are moments in this where I'm like, this is after Scream 3. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like he's, he's wild here It's and he's youthful. Um, what did, what else did you make of Arquette? I loved him. I yeah. think he, I think he looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's, the- <laughs> I know how you judge movies, just how good they look. No, but yeah. like he does. Like, I think he like embodies that character really well. I really appreciate his kind of campy attitude to me. He's like one of the only people in this film that seems to understand what I guess Mick Garris is going for. Yeah. And I I appreciate that and kind of the I don't know the arquette that we everybody knows and love the ability to like turn that switch and really just kind of be a little wild and funny like I think he does really well with that and um, so I I don't know I I like him as George Staub a lot. Aisha, you were nodding your head a lot when we were talking about arquette. What, 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 what thoughts do you have on him in here? I like that. I appreciate that he has this ability. Going to Rachel's point of being able to like toe this line of being like wonky and weird like something's off but there's like a little bit of hilarity so you're kind of caught off guard because you're like should I laugh or should I be you know fearful or like terrified of what's about to happen and I do like that he has that ability to kind of 
create that character where you're like, ha ha ha, like awkward laugh and hoping that it's the laughing and not the, the crazy side. Um, I kind of like, that was the only part I kind of remember of the movie is his character kind of coming. I mean, yeah. I remember other parts. I'm, I'm over exaggerating, <laughs> but I think he stuck with me the most, but also I enjoy his ability to be like both comedic and a little creepy at the same time, going to like the creep show vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I agree. He came, he was one of the top ones with coming to play with this and like bringing his own character to it, but still kind of staying in the realm of like what I wanted to see from this, the book yeah. to the movie. A hundred percent. Even while reading it and I had seen the movie before reading the the short story, I, I could just see it all on the page um, for sure. I mean, he's just, he, he absolutely nails this character. Um, I actually kind of wish that, Garrus let him go a little wilder. Like there's a moment where, um, you know, the, the dark passenger for Alan is talking to Alan and he like turns around. And he's like, who the fuck? You're like, who the fuck is this guy or whatever? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I want more of that. Like, give me yeah. some of that, like that sort of, you know, unconsciousable, like unpredictable fucking behavior. Cause Arquette's really good at that, especially when he goes reverts to like what I was saying, like vintage nineties, uh, Arquette, like think back to like airheads, when he has these like weird moments, he's like, you know, you just, and he has like body language is so fucking odd. Um, it's almost very similar to Matthew Lillard in Scream, which is funny because I guess Arquette has to be really stoic, um, you know, in the Scream movies. But, you know, Flieger, when we used to be friends on MySpace, I know you had like Ready to Rumble as your favorite movie. So, yeah. like, why don't you talk a little bit about <laughs> David Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he comes across to me as like the PG 13 Charlie Sheen. In yeah. some ways, like he's oh, dangerous, but not like the edges have been sanded down. Yeah. So he's not going to actually that's hurt fair. you. Like I'd rather hang out with him than Charlie Sheen. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> what if it's 20, like 11 or 20, whenever Charlie Sheen went off on like, you know, Chuck Lorre, would you want to hang yeah. out with him? Yeah. That's a great okay. time to be friends with him. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but like, imagine like I always switch their roles. Like imagine David Arquette in Wall Street or something. And, you know, yeah. there's, you could see a little bit of it, but it, it wouldn't work as well. I, Who I am mean, I here, man? Like he's yeah. just like standing. <laughs> <Whoa. yeah. laughs> Look how wacky I am from the nineties. Um, uh. He, yeah. Like I, I don't know. I didn't really like any aspects of this film. So I, I'm trying to find something positive to say, but I, th- he looks great. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, he I does mean, his look, hair great. look great. So I love the movie. That jacket's nice. <laughs> I like yeah. the greaser aesthetic, but I think it was done better. And sometimes they come back, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. fair. And when I was reading the story, the, actual novel or novella i picture this character being a little older mm-hmm. so i think arquette he just i mean he's blessed with the youthful face so it didn't work quite as much for me but i don't know it, it just he was fine you know I what, mean, you know what also doesn't work though is the fact that like they signal that he's a ghost before they even get to his fucking character like yeah. he's like washing over the crash they literally show the photo of him on the grave, which seems so pointless. Like that, that, that seems like, that seems like the, you know, if you're at a howdy doody show and they're like putting the strings together, like for the, the puppet literally in front of the audience and then being like, here he is. Yeah, there You see the goes. magician put the rabbit in the hat before he yeah, pulls it out. But like, I, bad there idea. was, there was some stuff that was kind of funny. Like the, it reminded me of like idle hands a little bit, like when he was decapitated mm-hmm. and they had his head yeah. in the back seat. And that's like with this movie too. I couldn't tell the tone. I'm like, is this going to be an ultra violent, or is this going to be like a tongue-in-cheek violence? Mm-hmm. And there were some scenes I'm like, wow, they're really going to show his decapitated head after he crashed yeah. into the pumpkin wagon. And uh, the pumpkin wagon. <laughs> well, that's what it was. He crashed into a it pumpkin was. wagon that exploded. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I was like is this 
Speaking of pumpkins, uh, do you think high octane? Yeah, I yeah, I actually do wish, like we were saying before, like the the creep show aesthetic. Like, if it was more like idle hands, and you could tell, like Garrus wants to do that because it is very confused tonally. Like it gets saccharine and syrupy whenever Mm -hmm. it gets to the mother stuff, the actual story, and then when it gets into the stuff that has to do with like the ghoulish, it's like he can't match it with severity, so he just leans on the sort of haunted house gimmicks. And so if I had to choose between, all right, if you lean more on the Serpent Saccharin and the Sirius, which I don't think he does well at, um, and he did more lean more into the the sort of ghoulish delights that that we love to find at our state carnivals, I think I'm gonna lean more on the left. Just go in, just make it fucking stupid, make it fun, make it ridiculous. Because it kind of even does that with the drama. Like those pop-ups and those fake outs, they speak to that sort of, you know tongue-in-cheek uh what i was saying before like goosebumps thing where you know even when you're doing like the stuff with the mom he's doing fake outs there like it makes me wonder if garris if garris like filmed you know got everything so that the editor could then adjust the tone as needed (laughs) so he did like the kind of saccharin with the scary so i looked up the editor um and he's like hit or miss like he's got some really good ones like small soldiers and don't be a menace but then he has joe dante then he has the burbs a tom hanks movie that i couldn't finish yeah, not a great movie, but they're both Joe Dante, and Joe Dante is a master in being able to just flip tones on the dime. Yeah, um, you know. while leaning more toward the fun, oh, totally. scary, without going yeah. all the way overboard. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts on Arquette? Because he's the man of the hour. There, I would say, um, even yeah. more so than Jonathan Jackson. I think I, I think he's the man of the hour for this panel. You know, if yes. Jonathan Jackson's my personal man of the hour. Anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about another man of the hour very shortly. Um, I mentioned Howdy Doody and, you know, classic ventriloquist, am I right? But It's a marionette. It's- marionette. Well, whatever. It's the same type of thing. It's, um, what, you might want to talk to a puppeteer of, about that. Well, 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 look, <laughs> it's not too different than, you know, the, the, the classic Twilight Zone, the dummy. And I bring that up because it's one of the most iconic episodes of the Twilight Zone. Uh, the character actually appears uh, in the Tower of Terror, which I just went to in Orlando. And who but Cliff Robertson is at the lead of that Twilight Zone episode. And he is here in as a, the old man reaching for his balls. And, um, oh, gosh. That's not what he's credited as. He's credited as Farmer, which is interesting that Cliff Robertson was like, sign me up um, for Farmer. <laughs> uh, Grab but, a handful yeah. of balls like a real farmer. But this is a legend. I mean, this is an Academy Award winner that's in Riding the Bullet, you know. And let's just say Barbara Hershey is is, is, is is multiple awards. She's got Emmys and Golden Globes for days. But um, Cliff Robertson, this is a legend, you know. And this is only two years after he's Uncle Ben. Once again, he's in a car. It's good casting, I'd say. Um, and that's about it. I don't have anything else to say about Cliff Robertson. I really wanted to put front load it because I don't I, – I, I'm way to guess that not anyone else on this panel has much to say about his role here. I, I mean, I will me say, I think that he's the most true to what's written. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, it really feels like, okay, this is the same character. This is how it's written. He's doing the exact same things. He's saying literal lines of dialogue from the story. So it's like, all right, that that matches, I guess. Yeah. Like, if you have to draw lines to, like, 
King's actual work. It's like that 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 tracks. But other than that, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he read the story and he was like, uh, "I want to be part of this story." I'm a, I've King always Project. been a Stephen All King right. fan. <laughs> yeah. like, my my one of my dying wishes is to be part of uh, a Stephen King movie before I'm gone. I like his accent. Just scratch my crotch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just scratchy. I to be the 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 beloved character who smells like piss and scratches his crotch. Uh, grabber. Crotch. Yeah, the crotch grabber. Um, does this movie work if Cliff Robertson is Alan Parker? <laughs> He's like going home to his mother as a, you know, they, they give Cliff Robertson the Alan Parker role. Does this work better with uh, <laughs> with Cliff Robertson? Maybe like lead? a plot twist at the end where he wakes up and he is the farmer and it's oh, all dreams. <laughs> that, that would be more, I think that would be more effective than the ending I think that we get here. Um, Anyway, let's move on from Cliff and go to, uh, oh, shit. Uh, Jessica Hadley, who's played by Erica Christensen. You know her from Leave it to Beaver, which they reference in this. She was in Traffic. She's great in Traffic. Yeah, she's, uh, uh, I liked her performance as the dime store Julia Stiles. Yeah. I've just always thought yeah, she, right? oh, like, she's not even because I love here. traffic, but I'm always like, I feel like Julia Stiles and her were going after the same roles mm-hmm. during this time period. Yeah. I guess I'm just prefer yeah. Julia Stiles, but she, I mean, Julia Stiles won out, but yeah, the, I think by not being in this movie too, it's another <laughs> feather in her cap. Um, but no, it just like the girlfriend was the kind of like that. I didn't like where it was like, no, I'm not breaking up with you. And then he goes home to kill himself. Cause he's like, she's breaking up with me. And it yeah. just was like, this is just very cheesy. And at the end yeah. the epilogue where they're like, and don't worry, I married her. And, you know, oh, after a few, Lord, and I'm yeah. like, it's like no one in the movie was like, yes, they finally tied the knot. Everyone was like, yeah. we've already <laughs> moved on from this. Yeah, I, I didn't think they needed to ever revisit that whatsoever. Like, yeah, I thought no. that, you know, it's a good springboard for whatever you wanted to do. It's a great springboard to a, a theme that juxtaposition, that's a complete juxtaposition to the actual theme of the short story, which is, you know, she's a hindrance, I guess, in a way. Rachel, what do you think about Erica? she also she does not look the part like if this is 1969 like i'm sorry she looks very much 2004 Mm -hmm. which you know is nothing against her i don't know why i'm fixated on everybody's looks i guess this is i'm just have to take (laughs) everything else like the most surface level yeah but like i i really the way she was styled and everything it just added to the confusion about like wait when is this happening where are we like building the world i felt like it was miscast yeah well it didn't help that like in scene three i think she's still wearing her swim fan crew jacket um (laughs) yeah it's like wait that's you know overlap editing yeah (laughs) aisha are you in uh erica's corner or are you kind of against it She's one of those people, again, I thought was Julia Stiles for a long time, too. And I was like, oh, she looks like, I was like, did Julia Stiles get around her in the face kind of thing? Yeah. Um, But her character, yeah, coming in, I was just kind of, what is the point of her other than to, I guess, be a catalyst of his melancholy? Because I also didn't understand the logic of her, like, pretending to break up with him and sleep with, or I guess, hook up with other people to throw a surprise party. Yeah. And... I don't know. know, Just her character just seemed like she was she had no real concept of how to interact with other people and how is she supposed to be the secure, loving like thing that he's I feel like she was supposed to like help contribute to this like college environment because Mm -hmm. I do think she was going to break up with him because they even say doesn't he say Mm -hmm. like he like confronts her and was like you like you really were going to break up with me. And the only reason she like pretended to fake it was because he tried to kill himself. 
but and so I think it's like supposed to contribute to like oh we're in college and you know I just want to like hook up with other people and yeah it's this you know late 60s I I got that but I just I couldn't understand her logic of like as a as a how she went about everything especially from like the art scene to that oh yeah it it was I I don't think any of it needed to be there I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to like make sense of what I think they were going for she was supposed to be the delivery of tickets like her only real role was to be how they got tickets (laughs) and the only reason they had to give him tickets is so that there's no like he needs to hitchhike because his Mm -hmm. friends aren't there to give him a ride yeah Yeah, which is I was gonna say you could I, I was trying to think of like how to reduce this movie down and I was like how about you make his girlfriend the nude model and he's jealous of her modeling. She gives him the tickets for his birthday, and then she kind of just fucks off for the rest of the story. You know, and that could have shaved twenty minutes of meaningless back and forth. But I think you just want to see Erica Christensen naked then. Um, in the, yeah, that's in the like oh, that's all. Story. Yeah, I mean, she looks like... great. She's a hunk from the '90s, so I loved her. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, but I was thinking even like the casting. Like I think like Brittany Murphy or something could have been a little more of that '60s era. But you're right; she felt very 2000s. Didn't really match mm-hmm. the era for me. I mean, she's a good actress. It's just this movie, again, people weren't given a lot to work with. Please come on our podcast as a guest. I'm not trashing you personally, but... Oh, yeah. No, we're going to get her. I'm going to do my one-on-one with Arquette. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I actually would like Arquette on here. It'd be fun. Um Same. I did think about actually uh, seeing if Arquette would do it since he's doing press for Scream right now, but I thought it would be so embarrassing to be like, hey, you know, you're back in this huge sequel scream can you come on the show and talk about riding the bullet like what no his pr team would love that they'd be like we need to jump on this david yeah get on it now um yeah erica christensen not a great character uh mostly because yeah i didn't think about this like how convoluted that just to get him on the road like that they all the the ways that the pretzel logic that gets there suicide surprise birthday party um friends that don't need to exist a girlfriend arc that doesn't need to exist like so much fat when all he needed was we get more time with alan at his college life and he gets a call from the hospital and he hits the road that's it that's it it doesn't get more simple than that when he's gifted the tickets and he comes back to his dorm and i'm like oh my god they're still dragging like eight more minutes where he's like So I've got some tickets. To, it's like, oh my god, just speed it up. Like he could have even started yeah. hitchhiking. You know what I mean? You could yeah, have cut yeah. almost all the college mm-hmm. and just had a little bit of voiceover exposition at the beginning, or you know, him replaying the call in his head. But the, yeah, the I first the five cut. minutes, the flieger cut would be like great on this. I would demand the flieger cut. I'm telling you, like I would love it. I I know how you guys feel, or some of you people feel about Mike Flanagan, but I'm telling you, like this story, this grief this like struggle with death and mortality like this like he could do this effectively yeah well i think i actually was gonna bring that up because like because in a say yeah they're very similar garris and flanagan are very similar in that they come in with a lot of heart yes but why does the heart work i mean i guess i know why it works for flanagan because he's a better better writer but does Flanagan's heart work better because he brings so much punch when it comes to the scares? Or is it just that there's more depth to his characters or is it a mix of all? I don't know. I mean, I think he's it's... more sentimental in like a bittersweet way or his Garris yeah. is more sentimental in a fun, upbeat way. And I think it's they're just... both saccharine. Like they're very saccharine. They, they can be, but I feel like Flanagan leads his is more lasting impact. Mm. Whereas I think yeah. Garris, a lot of his kind of feel the time that they were made. But maybe that's uh-huh. just because Flanagan's making a lot of contemporary stuff too, so I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I did see that comp though, because because when this does get emotional and the serp is laid on thick, there are moments in this where I was thinking of Flanagan, and yeah, I do think there's more finesse if he has it. And Flanagan's, you know, he's like Garrus, very um, devoted to King and making sure that he gets all the details in there. But I think that as we've seen with like Doctor Sleep and moments, I guess not Gerald's game, but definitely Doctor Sleep the additions that he does have really pay off and they matter and they are in important connective tissue. Whereas with this, it just feels like so much fat, like just so much fat on in this movie. And it's like, just it's more like sluggish the bullet. Um, I, we got, we got two more I, people. We don't have to really go too far into it. Nikki cat plays Ferris. So the, you know, the, um, the hippie that gets hit days and confused. That's why I know him from, I got nothing on him. Anyone else got anything on, on I, Nikki Cat they want to talk about? I, I'm, I'm done with that. I just wanted to not be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to know does Garrett, Garrett do like political statements in a lot of his work or like things like that? Because I, I, I was curious why that was added though and like why his wig came off. Yeah, like, it's was very he strange. Unmasking? I think he was trying to bring some sort of. I don't know, maybe pseudo inside baseball to the hippie movement or like the sixties to be like, well, Hey, beyond the needle drops beyond the, the titling and the references, there's this, and this maybe was happening at the time. And there's some sort of, you know, depth there, but it doesn't, it comes off as like, okay, that Buffalo Springfield at the closing credits that stopped children. What's that sound? Which is kind of like the warning to the hippie generation. I felt like Mm -hmm. the hippie, with the wig is like careful. There's a lot of guys who will pretend to be hippies that'll infiltrate, but it was too vague to really be impactful. Yeah. I mean, you could see that there is a lot of concerted effort or not a lot, but at least somewhat of a concerted effort to at least be somewhat of a homage. Like I think Garris probably thinks that this is a very um, like heartfelt in poignant, uh, like touchstone for the sixties for him and a love letter to the sixties in a way. Because, I mean, even casting Barbara Hershey, I mean, in her early, you know, youth and in trying to make, you know, a career for herself, um, you know, she had a reputation early in her career as being a hippie. And it actually brought a lot of conflict between her, you know, her personal life and her acting goals. And I have to imagine that, you know, Hershey being an icon of Garris's era, he, that was, it was definitely like pointed casting in that respect. Um, so I do think that there was some sort of effort on, on Garris's part to have some sort of, I don't know, commentary and maybe some sort of political commentary, but like a lot of things that he does here, I think he pulls his punches and doesn't really put a lot in there. You know, it's, it's kind of a lot of show and tell show and tell at the same time where it's just kind of like, well, all right. So what, what about it? You know? Um, but, uh, speaking of show and tell, um, what do we like to do whenever we have a dream or a nightmare? We, we can't show it, but we can certainly tell it. So let's do that in our next section called Nightmares and Dreamscapes. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. All right, well... I feel like we've talked a lot about the nightmares of this movie. We've gone pretty hard on our grievances. Um, maybe we focus on the dreamier aspects, the stuff we did actually like. Uh, Flieger, 
is the the biggest fan of this movie. I think you should go first in telling us what <laughs> the, you love. The most honest critic yeah. of this movie. Um, no, yeah. I, there was yeah. like some hey. fun stuff. Um, like I liked when they were doing the headstone montage, and on his, it just said, "Who oh, gives a yeah. shit." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that yeah. was funny. Um, you know, there were like a couple little gags like that. Um, I actually did like some of the horror side. Like, I like that it doesn't pull the punches, like when the dog gets hit by the car. Cause I was like, whoa, that was unexpected. Yeah. So it was the kind of movie that, you know, when you watch at home, sometimes you get a little distracted on your phone or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm playing my Candy Crush on my bliggity blog or whatever. Your Candy um, Crush. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I haven't played it in a long time. But yeah. Uh, but then there would be these jolts where it would kind of bring me back into the movie. So Garris is good at that. Like he can do not quite a jump scare, but just kind of something to change the tone and it kind of brings you back in. So there were moments in the movie that were kind of peppered throughout. I just could have used even more of that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, what about you? I I do like the way that, especially the night scenes and when he's on the road and when they're at the amusement park, I like the way those scenes look. I know that this is more like the cinematographer, like you were talking about, but like, I like the way that it's lit. I think it's really effective and yeah, I like, I like the lighting. I think it is, I don't know. There's a lot of thought put into it, I guess. And you know, it's got the fog and it's, it's like how you imagine it feels, it feels like a spooky ghost story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in those scenes and at the college, the earlier scenes, not so much, but later in the film, I feel like you really get to see, that part of the crew shine and really come mm-hmm. through and same thing with like the as david arquette's character is like deteriorating i mean greg nicotero is working on yeah. all of the, the, the you know the makeup effects and stuff and i think that that's done really well how it like increases over time and I, so i do like that but it takes a while to get there yeah <laughs> 54 echo, minutes or so yeah oh god it takes a while and i, I echo those thoughts that's that, that's actually what i had too it's just the some of the tonal um, you know, hues that they had in there that, I, as I mentioned before, very are you afraid of the dark for me? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I get I get a little nostalgic feeling when I when I see some of that stuff. Uh, Aisha, what did you like? I won't say love. What did you like about this one? Uh, yeah, this was uh pulling a little <laughs> bit of teeth for me. Um, I to to Rachel's point, I did actually like once we get to the story, like when we're on the road and actually meeting characters. I do like certain details that they kind of highlight to kind of like draw your eye and attention. And I was looking forward to see how they do the deterioration of George. Cause like in the story you kind of get hints, but it takes a while before you realize that something's off. Um, so I'm a big fan of like movie um, FX makeup and things like that. So I thought that was done really well. Um, and I paid a lot of attention to like the details that they were doing with that. I guess that's like probably my my the things I enjoyed in that I enjoyed yeah. laughing at certain things yeah. and and making fun of people, which is definitely the intention. I think when Garris is setting out, you know, he was like, "This is what we have to do. We have to take the story and we have to make fun of people." And uh, <laughs> once I realized it was Mike Garris that was like doing it, because I I didn't read anything before I started watching the movie, and I was like, wait, what is happening here? Like, I need to understand. Like, I'm missing something. And as soon as I like pulled up the the rights and I saw that, and I saw that he was the one who did Michael Jackson's Ghost and everything like that, I was like, okay, this makes sense yep. to me. I can I can live with this, or I can sit through this and not be like, I gotta turn this crap off, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's weird how the name is almost like um, 
it's like an asterisk almost it's like yeah all right yeah that, that that's it okay it, it makes sense that for garris like if i i mean i i feel like i'm certainly softening a lot of the blows here because of garris because I, I i do appreciate mm-hmm. him so much like if this was anyone else and they just i would just be like oh man what the fuck are you thinking yeah, no, there no, are he's, things he's got talent know, but i just think he's better off in the short film mm-hmm. Yeah, or the epic miniseries form. I don't think he operates in the feature length film area. Because even yeah. like I watched the ghost uh, music video, the whole thing for, to accompany the episode, and I was like, I'd actually rather be watching that than riding the bullet. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just those long slogs that just get to you. You know, I was trying to think because um, you were trying. You're like, was it slogging the bullet? I was like, it should be called riding the bullet time because it slows ooh, down. It does. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a. I feel like even just the stop scene goes on for anyway we've we've talked enough about the nightmares but bad news the nightmare isn't over because we're heading right into the cemetery what's the bottom of the truth well sometimes that is better the person you put up there ain't the person that comes back it may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground Beyond that cemetery, ain't human at all. All right, simple. What scared us? <laughs> You've already signaled one, Fleer, which is uh. Yeah. Well, I'll add to it. So not just the blank face, but the scene where he imagines his mom losing her mind and she's squawking at him. Mm. And the doctor's like, "You're gonna have to take care of her forever." He's like, "Yep, yep." And he's like, "You have to drop out of school. You'll never have friends." I thought that was pretty scary. Yeah. Did you get up in the middle of the night like last night and you're like, fuck. Yeah, I couldn't sleep last scene. night because <laughs> I was too excited to watch the movie all over again. Yeah, you're like, you're like I can't wait till I could get up in the morning. I'm going to have some coffee and I'm going to watch Riding the Bullet for the third time this week. Yeah, well, um, I, you think about that and I'm like, I wonder who wasn't involved with production, but there's someone out there that this is their favorite movie. Yeah, it and could be. how many times have they watched this? Maybe 500 times, you know, they have it memorized and they have the soundtrack on Spotify. Uh, Rachel, what scared you? I don't know if it scared me, but I, I, the dog scenes are always really uncomfortable. I hate it when, you know, like, oh, the thing with the bunny and then it gets hit by the car. It's just, you know, I'm a dog person. So that's really unsettling. And I mean, I, I do, I I guess I never thought about it the way Dan was talking about it earlier, but it is really unexpected in that way. I guess you definitely don't, I didn't expect that to happen the first time I saw it. Um, but as far as scary, I guess the face thing too, but yeah. I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. The, the dog thing is so unexpected. And it, it, it almost feels like that scene in Anchorman with Jack Black where you're like, wait, what? Like, what the hell's going on here? Like, and even he does that. Even ja- Jonathan Jackson is just like, whoa. And just like walks away. Well, did the so dog strange. actually bite him? Because I thought the dog attacked him, then got hit by the car. But it was a dreamscape. A it was out. one of many fake like dream. But he dreamed things. that the dog got hit by a car. No. I think the dog did get hit. Wait, so it yeah. gets hit by a car, was, right? The dog so. is real. Dreamed that it bit him, but actually got hit by a car. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm telling you, it happens. Yeah, you're right. It does happen very sudden. It's so it's it's very strange, and also, um, Alan misses another ride with the dog getting or with the German Shepherd getting hit. So, um, you know, double doses of uh, sadness there. Um, Aisha close us out here uh, what, what, what scared you you all covered a lot of it but you just made me think of a question or a thought of like the dog scene of 
him imagining him being bit, but like the actual effect of what happens is the dog getting hit, uh, hit by the car. And I'm like, was, was Mike trying to like subliminally like stick into us the idea of like, what's going to happen with him and his mother of like, kind of the effect that he has on life and death for like the things and people around him. Mm. Um, but he's like constantly so hyper fixated on his own mortality. Yeah. It's Mm. like, it's almost like he's, I don't know. He never doesn't realize that that affects everybody. I don't. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's a good question. I don't know what he's trying to say exactly. I can see that though. I think that gets distracted. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. Go for it. No, my thought was too, it was like, I feel like the the concept of death and how scary that is gets um, distracted from because in, with the tickets and everything, it seems like he doesn't want to even really go see his mother. Like it seems like a, a burden that this all happened. And so it's less of a, a conversation of death in my head and like the scariness of it and more of like an imposition in this movie as opposed to like in the book, I felt like that was like the like to Dan's point, the legitimacy that people fear of having to take care of their parents with and like what that entails because that is scary. So I, you know, I guess this is a nightmare again, but like that concept of it took away from how scary that could have been presented. And that would have been for me. Cause you know, in the mm-hmm. beginning when I was younger, that was a fear of having like either my parents die early yeah. or like having to take care of them. And what, what would I do to, to figure that out kind of thing. But I guess that would be my nightmare or my yeah. uh, scary point if it had been, played well yeah no and i and i i think that's that's a, f- a really fair point and i think that's that actually speaks to one of the reasons why the urgency just isn't there is because yeah i didn't even think about it it, it is like an imposition for him it is like he, he it's like he, he does it both ways it's like yeah this sucks because i don't get to see john lennon but it also sucks because i have to go all the way down here and hitchhike and I, I do think that really does strip any urgency whatsoever. Whereas in the book or the short story, you he really is concerned, you know? Yeah. And, and and it ties really into just the, the feelings that he is running away from that that sort of feeling of death, that feeling of fear. Um, there's not one, good. one more yeah. that I want to mention, though. So there's also the crow that's talking. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to recall. That gets hit by a car as well, right? <laughs> It says the crow looks at him and says, "What the fuck are you looking at?" And then I'm pretty sure it gets run over. So we've got multiple animals. I hate it. That go from they're there to a dream sequence to then being hit by a car. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, it's it's a again. It goes into the whole like. I'm a a big crow person, so it's sad to see crow get killed. On. Have you seen all the crow movies? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, no digressing there. Um, I want your crow ranking eventually sometime. Um, I yeah. I, I I think that also just plays into the the fact that they're just throwing out as many haunted house tricks as possible, not even thinking about the the logistics of it all. But not many of them scared us because we didn't list many of them here in the cemetery. Let, let me throw out a question to the panel: Is there any pound cake here? Do we really really need to like detour? I don't. I don't. Think um. That. Well, excuse me. You have some. Um. Well, Jackson well. in the tub is okay. the closest. Uh, I yes. think. Oh, all right. So is there enough that we need to detour into pound cake or? No, that's it. I think. I'll just say all one right. more. I'll just toss one in there. Um, when he talks about his girlfriend, he's like, when she gets bad cramps, when she's OTR. And oh, it took me yeah, a second to realize that. what that meant. And then he's like, you know, on the rag. Yeah. I guess those count so as But I'm trying to incorporate cake. OTR into my uh, dialogue like daily. Oh. So. Don't, don't do that. Don't it's do a that. cool slime yeah. from David Arquette. Yeah. Nope. I wouldn't. Uh, 
Yeah. Wouldn't do it. All right. Well, I, sadly, I had no pound cake. The pan is squeaky clean. Anyway, no. I think instead of having a slice of pound cake, have a little slice of King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. All right. Well, that clumsy seg uh, brought us here, King's Dominion. Where you know we get all Rick Dalton on our listeners and point out the references to King's work, and there are a few in here. And in, if we all didn't get the the, the obvious reference, then um, we fail as uh, as as, as co hosts of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, vroom vroom, am I right? The is the is the the yeah. You are the maestro of cars on this podcast, Rachel. So what's the big reference here? Ooh, that bad to the bone, Christine, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I think Garris is like, maybe they just they got really lucky with getting the car. But I, I was trying to count if uh, Christine pops up in every frame of this movie. Um, oh my gosh! Actually, it also, like it takes away from like is he a ghost? You know, like it mm-hmm. just like Aisha was saying, it really, like takes away that like mystique of like is he isn't he because the car has been following him this whole time. <laughs> I think Aisha was saying it about the year of the car. Uh, yeah, I because I was like trying to prepare for King's Dominion because I'm always weakest in this part. And so I was looking at and I saw someone mention Christine, but I think it was like a 1958 is Christine, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. Yeah, like a 1960. So it's not the exact model, but it's like a nudge nod to it. Yeah, it, it, oh, it's like it, it, it's like when um, you find like action figures that are dropped out like or, or your cereals even. That it's like, the generic. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like close enough, you know. We got there. Christine. Yeah, like dinosaur military man when they used to be at like all the dollar stores during like Jurassic Park, and they're like, "All right, I know what you're doing. Like you're capitalizing on this movie." Um, well, it's like uh, Ninja Turtles had Muck Man the toy. Yeah. It was like clearly Toxic <laughs> Avenger. You're yeah. like, oh, this is the generic. It's like, don't stray from our brand. We have them too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the car, but I think that also speaks to the movie is like, even the homages are slightly off and askew. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, obviously, the crow talking could be Randall Flagg, who finally oh. killed. Yeah, I thought about that too. Um, the nurse is named Annie Wilkins or Annie Wilkes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that cares for yeah. Mrs. Parker, obviously. Oh, friends. interesting. I didn't, ca- I didn't catch that one. That's good. Yeah. And uh, Cynthia Garris plays a uh, mixed wife plays a nurse and she was also in the uh, TV adaptation of The Shining. Oh yeah. She's in the, Sleepwalkers too. Isn't she? Yep. Oh, no, yeah, the, right. the she was in Sleepwalkers, she was in The Stand cuz she plays Susan Stern. Um she's been in all I mean, look, she's his wife, so obviously. Uh she was also in Quicksilver, Quicksilver Highway. There are a lot of actual um connections to uh the cast members being in King Works. Um Ben Cotton who who uh, he played Hank in The Dead Zone. TV series. There are actually a lot of Dead Zone uh, folks on here, probably because this film in Canada, I believe. Um, and so you had, I think, like four or five cast members that were in the Dead Zone. David Purvis would like play a drunk in Kingdom Hospital, which we're going to be covering this year on uh, this podcast. That'll be a fun one. Um, so yeah, I think the casting certainly covers like a lot of the scope of the King's Dominion adaptations, but. Mostly because Garris has just been attached yeah. to so many of them, and also the uh, but you know they've got a hell of a band from uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes where they mentioned Lennon, Hendrix, Joplin, and Morrison. Oh, He's that's like, good. That's Imagine good what it'd be like when they get old, which is a little too on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but those are all characters <laughs> in uh, that short story. Yeah. In that same scene, did you notice that he was wearing a blue denim work shirt? 
Ah, oh, I didn't. Oh. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> the old blue chambray or cambray yeah. or is it chambray? Chambray, right? Uh, anyway. So, yeah. um, Aisha, do you have any others? Uh, no, I'm so bad at this. I, I guess the only other one was I caught the, I never know what his name, like the Grim Reaper character. That's like oh. right off the bat, but that's pretty easy. Yeah, the, the, uh, I mean, I feel like the, the way that they do the death in this is just so obvious and yeah so it's kind of like all right whatever like it was like we had to throw him in and have a cigarette with him yeah like i it kind of has like a randall flag vibe there but it's so like is this being tongue-in-cheek about what death is because it's like i don't know it just felt like um it was cool makeup makeup it was if it had better lighting, you know, it didn't have, it looked kind of like lighting that would be at a bed, bath and beyond and you have like death right there. Like, doesn't also help that like you have day, like daylight horror is really hard to pull off. So when you have them like appearing at like the, the roller coaster, it just comes off so lame. Like, yeah, when he gets thrown off, that's such a weird scene. That's the scene where I was like, this really feels like Bill and Ted when they plunge to earth. Yes. Because it was very clearly overlaid. Oh my God, yeah. And it like yeah, slows that, down gravity. It was just such a strange. That's so funny. You're totally like you, right. You could do like a screen grab of that and it would be like an, like a great cover for like an Animorphs or a Goosebumps. Yeah, or like or the cover of Biodome or something. Or like a yeah, poster. right. Uh, um, um, one last one. I had one. two more. Oh, oh go for it. Go for it. The, the instant karma, obviously. The mm-hmm. lyrics. That's where King got the shining from as we all shine yeah. on. That's the last yeah. one I have. That's yeah. a good one. I, I actually didn't write that down. That's good. Um, I had... Uh, the empty fridge, Patrick Cox starter from it. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Considering that wasn't in the story, uh, so the, the, that was kind of a an illusion there. And this is such a stretch, but who would I be if I didn't mention my man Glenn Bateman? And I feel like when uh, you know he's older and he's painting uh, by the river, it reminded me of uh, yeah. McGarris's interpretation of uh, Glenn Bateman from the '94 Stand miniseries. That, that popped I, up too to me. I was like, this has to be some kind of Right, tribute there. It felt too. It felt too parallel there. Um, I had a well, couple that were oh, yeah, big stretch. Big, big. Oh, stretches. I like those. Those room two thirty seven. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe more room two thirty seven. Um So when sh- his mom is hanging up sheets, it reminded me of Dolores Claiborne. Mm. Um, a lot with the sheets, and then well, when the dog gets hit by a semi, which reminded me a lot of Pet Cemetery. And then also there's a scene where Staub is chasing him down the street and it looks just like, uh, you know, Buddy Ripperton getting chased mm-hmm. by Christine. Yes. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and then also when um, Staub like has his hand ripped off, it's degloving. So it reminded me of <laughs> Gerald's game a little bit. Ooh, that's great. Those are all great. Um, that's it. Yeah. And, and obviously we have the, the conduit to all Stephen King adaptations, as we mentioned before, Matt, for, I mean, that is, yes, he's, of the, he's the, he is the King when it comes to King uh, adaptations, at least. Um, he played Job. <laughs> we just spoke, spoke a lot about, uh, Oh yes, he did. War. Well, yes, yes. Yeah. He did. <laughs> yeah he, second Job, uh, 2.0 joy of Job. Well, I just mentioned Job's war. Our war has come to an end because uh, we've reached the last section and a little section that we call for pretty much everything that we do, final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. (laughs) Okay, I'll be right there. You said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. All right, let's nose this. Aisha. 
What are your final thoughts on uh, Quicksilver oh. Highway? I mean, riding the bullet. <laughs> riding the slug. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I've watched a lot of campy, terrible things in my past and given it a slide. It would be definitely something I, if I was bored, I'd pull on and I'd, I'd, I'd enjoy it. I'd enjoy, I say you should watch it so you can at least laugh. Um, mm-hmm. But I would probably give it, Oh, I feel like I'm being too harsh when I say this, but two and a half brain red Pennywise noses. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think I think we might be in that same range. Uh, Flieger. Um, so I was obviously a huge fan of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just sometimes cinema can just connect in a way that I don't think other art can. Spoke to you. Um, no, I just I was really not a fan. Like I said, riding the bullet time. This movie had no sense of urgency. It was very scattershot. There's a lot of ideas that were not fully fleshed out. And when you put them all together, I don't know. It's like when you make a gumbo, but you add too many ingredients. The unga pachka. It's a little too much a hat on a hat sort of thing. Yeah. So for those reasons, I'm a big Mick Garris fan. I like some of the ideas in this, but I think this would have been better as a made for TV special on like the Hallmark Channel or something. It just... Uh, it didn't really speak to me. So I'm going to give it 1.5 bright red Pennywise clown noses. Ooh, shine on. That is shine on. Yeah. I thought I was being harsh. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, you know, that's, that's fair. We got, we got to be critical on this pod. Um, all right, Rachel, what about you? You know, it's funny that so much of this talks about a roller coaster because this movie is a roller coaster got some highs it's got some lows and i that gives me mixed feelings because i love the story so much like i've talked about this before about i I mean i like to revisit it like in in the fall like i think it's a great really good ghost story really concise Mm -hmm. i don't know eloquent way to encapsulate some really complicated feelings and i think that that's really interesting and it bums me out that this movie doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I'm looking at it from that side, I'd like it less. So, but I like on its own, there's some stuff that I do like about it. It is kind of fun a little bit and it's something you can kind of put it on the background. And I like some of the visuals, the actors, music, not so much, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and so I guess I'm going to give it, okay, I'm trying to base this. Okay. I gave Job's <laughs> War two and a half and i feel like that's about accurate for this too which is like ooh, sorry mick um so yeah i'm gonna give it two and a half bright red pennywise clown noses yeah that's fair um yeah this is a tough one i don't know there's a lot of heart in this you know we've talked a lot about it i think there's a lot of heart um tear it out tear that heart out i know just tear it right out i i think i might have to for this um but you know, Garrus loves King. He, you know, he always goes and tries to capture all the little details, and I think he has that glee of a constant reader while doing so. But I don't know; it just kind of feels empty. Like it's like this movie feels like empty calories for me. And I think that had Garrus leaned more into the histrionic and the ghoulish, kind of like that we were talking about with the Creep Show, I do think this gives it more weight. I just think it just sort of floats on by like an afternoon special, like Flieger just mentioned. And I think it's just as overwrought too. I I, I just think there's parts of it where I'm just like rolling my eyes and like, oh my God, come on. Um, 
you know, but I appreciate Jonathan Jackson, as I mentioned. Um, you know, it was fun seeing our cat get a little wild, even if I think he could have gotten a little wilder. Um, and the goosebump scene made me a little nostalgic. So I, I guess I'll, I, I don't know. I'll probably go with two bright red Pennywise claw noses. Uh, maybe a little bullet pin that uh, it says, you know, I survived the bullet and all I got was uh, this nearly two hour conversation. <laughs> um, you know, not to be mean or anything, but. It's, I, I appreciated this two-hour conversation far more than actually watching it. And I think we all pretty much share that sentiment. I think we all had probably more fun. I mean, we pretty much are hitting an hour and 30 minutes. It probably will be underneath the, the actual runtime of the film, but I certainly had more t- fun talking about it than I did watching it. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. Same. Well, look, it's time to hit the road. So let's catch everyone up on where we're going next. Um, Aisha, what's next? Are we getting another season of uh, I'm Not a Peach Crown? Uh, yeah, next month is because we like to start in February with Black History Month. So no. we're working on a few things and we'll be talking about the bluest eye and why it's banned and a lot of um, publications and talking about like black um, sci-fi and like um, nonfiction works and kind of how they exist and how they talk about um, current and past uh, systematic is- systematic issues. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on that and a few other things, but we'll see. I also now work for a legal aid clinic, so I'm trying to like find ways to associate using our platform to kind of expand more conversation on black and brown people in both writing and, and works and things and how they're represented. So that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, you'll be on many adventures coming up. I feel with us, uh, we have many books, uh, and you're in a, a bunch of Dark Tower stuff too. So I, I feel like we'll, we're, we're going to be uh, back on the Dark Tower, uh, you know, road. For, I guess that's road. I don't know. Detour. I, I would Path. say detour, but that's a series that we actually yes. have now. So who the hell knows? But speaking of Dark Tower detour, Flieger, what's coming up on there? Um, yeah. So we actually just today confirmed we have Richard Chismar who wrote yeah. uh, the Gwendy Ooh, series, cool. and we'll be interviewing him. Um, as it relates to the Dark Tower in Gwendy's final task, which comes out in February. So that's exciting. And you're going to be reviewing that one. And you've, you've read it, right? Or you, um, you... I'm on the third one. I just finished the uh, Magic Feather. So yeah. Just yeah. cranking that one out. I just, you know, I have to sidetrack myself sometimes to watch movies like Riding the Bullet. So. <laughs> that's true. That is true. And, uh, and to rewatch them too it. when you get up in the middle of the night because you're going to be scared. Well, cool, cool. Very lo- looking forward to all the dark tower content this year oh my god we have a lot of it because uh hey we're finishing the dark tower um rachel any pieces to look out for yeah i've actually got a bunch of interviews this week thanks to yield sundance so Uh. um got a bunch of stuff coming out on a whole host of sites so uh yeah get ready to see a bunch of plugs from me on twitter coming soon (laughs) oh by the way what is your twitter handle Oh, well, thanks for asking. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, on Twitter, at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L. Nice, nice. Aisha, do you want to, do you have a Twitter handle you want to share also? Oh, God, no, I don't want anyone knowing who I am. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. That's fair. Free I say a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you can just find us on Instagram. I'm not a peach crayon. Uh, we're, no one wants to hear my Twitter thoughts because they're all weird so. <laughs> that's cool that's can, I, I usually am terrified of uh anyone finding any of my uh accounts and stuff so i'm just like all right no that's good um Flieger, what about you you can look me up at on all platforms at uh at otr 
Sorry. Hate you right uh, now. Love a good callback. So yeah, yeah. Just uh, Dan uh, Flieger, I think, is most of them, and. Uh, although I, I think your Instagram is always different because I'm always putting that in and it comes up with your brother. Yeah, um, I changed it recently and then someone was like, all the stuff that I tagged you before Instagram could tag has now changed. So I had to change it back. I don't know. I'm not very yeah. active. You, on, I just like Twitter, like doing jokes. And I follow, uh, not to give away your name, but I just like people that post jokes on Twitter. Yeah. I don't well, take it too seriously. Well, look, uh, for. Th- First off, like I, I'm surprised that Instagram hasn't, you know, the billionaires at Facebook or, or should I say Meta uh, haven't figured out how to, I don't know, if you change tags, they can't change them automatically. That seems like a pretty fucking archaic thing. Anyway, no, yep. no, don't need to get into that because I hate every social network out there. But anyway, um, as for us, we'll be back next month. We got a book episode on King's critically acclaimed memoir on writing. Uh, we're gonna be driving through Hollywood King because we got a lot of fucking news to cover. We got Fairy Tale, which is a very curious book for us, especially as we're covering the Dark Tower since, since this year, and there seems to be a lot of illusions and connections there. And literally an hour before or two hours before we recorded this, uh, it was reported that Blumhouse is uh, adapting later, which we covered last year. Uh, so uh, we've got so many fucking adaptations to cover and to keep tabs on. Um, and you'd think that we wouldn't have time to talk about the older adaptations, especially the adaptations that we already covered, but <laughs> you're wrong, uh, because we are going back to the Overlook Hotel for, I don't know what, for like the 30th fucking time, because we're going to be doing a long watch episode on The Shining, because we never did do a deep dive proper movie episode it was just lumped in with adaptations uh which is the conceit of the long watch series so very excited for that and we have a special guest uh jed shepherd uh the the writer and producer of hosts so i'm very excited for that one i'm also very scared uh for the research that's going to go into that because um you know let's just say i want to go find myself in a maze not unlike uh jack torrance himself uh at the end of that movie um I think that's it. I think we're good. I think we've covered this movie. I think we've talked about this movie on a podcast longer than anyone else. So I'm just going to say it right now. This is the definitive episode on writing the bullet. Uh, But you got to remember the bullet is constant. The bullet is always there. You wait in line. That's all. And when it's your turn to ride the bullet, maybe you ride, maybe you run. Either way, it comes to the same thing. Fun is fun and done is done. done. Nobody lives forever, but we all shine on over long days and and pleasant nights. I got some hot friends God, I got some hot friends I got some hot friends God, I got some hot friends But you know you want somebody To treat you good This is the end of our show For now Tune in next week If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.